You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating with Rachel Heinemann. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and certified eating disorder specialist. On this weekly podcast, we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery. It's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes where it will just be the two of us. The goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself, gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do, and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. Hey, 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 episode 85 with Jen Friedman. Today, we're talking about eating disorder, recovery, and veganism. By the way, every time I write veganism, there has a red swig of line underneath. So sometimes I wonder if it's actually a word, but I don't know. I think it is. Now, I know some of you identify as vegan. Some of you identify as vegan today, but maybe not always. And a lot of you slash most of you are in eating disorder recovery, or at least trying to work toward that place. So for those of you who identify with both, this is definitely your conversation. But I do think that it's important to think about this conversation in the context of really any eating restrictions that are not ethical or we can add religious eating restrictions or limitations. I work with a lot of people who keep kosher and keeping kosher, especially in a higher level of care, is tricky to say the least. If you've ever been to a higher level of care and you keep kosher, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the kind of thing that either people don't necessarily understand or don't necessarily respect and for sure treat everybody who comes in saying, I keep kosher or I'm vegan as just, okay, you're leaning on your eating disorder, you're restricting, we got to sort of tear that down. Or in best case scenario, sometimes they're in a limited way, sort of respectful. But I think what gets really tricky is that when somebody takes their ethical or religious eating limitations a little bit too far, and they do hide behind that in order to restrict their food. So what I would encourage any of you to do with this conversation is even if you don't identify as a vegan or you don't even know anybody who's vegan, if you have any religious eating limitations, whether it's you know fasting for religious purposes or just any specific rules around food within your religion, this conversation is also for you because it is a very nuanced phenomenon. Eating restrictions that have nothing to do with your eating disorder and eating restrictions that have everything to do with your eating disorder. So Jen and I try to tease out what's what and obviously highlight the fact that this is completely individualized, but that you can take this conversation and see how perhaps it might apply to you and how you can figure out where the line is for you. As always, our conversations here are meant to be conversation starters. So if, say, you're a vegan or you keep kosher or you're a clinician who treats people who are vegan or keep kosher or have any other religious limitations on their food, this is something that you might be like nodding, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or internally, you might be like, oh my God, this is totally pissing me off. Either way, what I'm asking from you Start the conversation with the people who surround you, your therapist, your clients, your friends, the people in your group, your social media, whatever it is, whether it's based on this conversation or just the general conversation about 
religious and ethical eating limitations and eating disorder recovery. Because I think that this is the beginning of a conversation. It is definitely not the end all and be all. And this is really just Jen's perspective and Jen's research. So you can have a very different approach. And guess what? I want to hear it. Before I share my conversation with Jen, a little bit about her. She's a mental health counselor, author, and musician. So she works at an outpatient therapy group as a therapist. And she's also the author of Veganism and Eating Disorder Recovery, which was published in 2022. Uh, guess what it talks about? Veganism and eating disorder recovery. Who would have thought? So here we go. All right, Jen, I'm excited to do this. We're talking about, well, your area of expertise is veganism and eating disorders. That's your book. That's your jam. So I'm really excited to delve into that because I think that uh, it's so complicated with the eating disorder world and veganism. Sometimes we sort of complete the two. Sometimes we try to differentiate. And for some people it is, and for some people it isn't. So it's a little complicated. But part of why I absolutely love this topic here is because it doesn't necessarily only apply to vegans. Because we're talking about this in the context of vegans and eating disorders, but anybody who's on a restrictive diet for purposes, it's not necessarily only for like their body reacts, they're allergic or they're sensitive to something, but other cultural, religious purposes, this is very similar. So I think it can apply to so many people. And so first of all, before we start, help me understand A, what a vegan is and what's behind it. Just sort of assuming we know absolutely nothing, which I'm I'm assuming people do, but let's just start from zero. (laughs) Absolutely. Sure. Sure. And thank you for having me on. It's wonderful to be here and chatting about this important topic. So veganism, we'll start with the simple definition, and that's from the Vegan Society, and I'll just read it verbatim. Um, So according to the Vegan Society, veganism is a philosophy and way of living which seeks to exclude as far as is possible and practicable all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any other purpose, and by extension, promotes the development and use of animal-free alternatives for the benefit of animals, humans, and the environment. And by extension of that, in dietary terms, because we're talking about food and eating and eating disorders, and so to be clear about the dietary terms, it denotes the practice of dispensing with all products derived wholly or partly from animals. And so again, it's a lifestyle that avoids all animal foods such as meat, dairy, eggs, and honey, animal-derived products like leather, and as far as possible, products tested on animals. So that is a basic definition overview of veganism. That is the core concept, the core principle of veganism before, you know, um, talking about it in conjunction with eating disorders, that's, that's veganism in a nutshell. And that would apply to anybody, um, anybody in the world and anybody, whether they had an eating disorder or not, if they are vegan, like truly, truly vegan, that's what this means. That's what it means. So even as you're talking about the definition, so I have some alarm bells going off because while at its core, it seems like a pretty ethical decision for somebody to choose to be vegan. And in this world, this day and age, it seems, I mean, definitely in New York City, it's its not that hard, but it is 
drastic. There are a lot of limitations on somebody who chooses to be vegan. And it also sounds like a lot of the things that I've heard from some of my eating disorder patients that may or may not actually have been truly vegan, but sort of latched onto this restrictive nature of eating. Um, And so I think we can break this down into two different ways, how it can either negatively impact somebody who's truly vegan, but also sort of allow somebody who's not to hide behind it. So perhaps we can do one at a time. Let's talk about the person who's truly vegan for ethical purposes. And I think the emphasis on the truly, because I think everyone's actually going to say this and almost all people are going to believe it. But for the person who's who's truly vegan, how can my take as an eating disorder clinician that's almost automatically says, oh my God, wow, restrictive, how can that actually be negative for somebody who's really vegan? The first concern is that the client is using veganism as a means to restrict. So their veganism, what they're calling veganism is actually a guise for eating disordered restriction and it's allowing it is allowing them to eliminate certain foods and eat less and restrict and they're doing it while being able to say well this is because of veganism so there's that there's that very real concern and then there's another concern which is that even if a professional comes to truly believe that the client is vegan at their core, it's not the eating disorder, even then there tends to be a concern that they cannot fully recover as a vegan because, again, it goes back to the idea of, well, it is restrictive and it's always going to compromise the integrity of your recovery. You'll never quite get there. And of course, that would vary um, in various settings various situations, but I tend to see that those are the two primary concerns. And so I think it's important to kind of break down this idea of restriction, how restriction is different for somebody with an eating disorder than it is for somebody who is vegan. So Mm -hmm. I just want to give kind of a blanket overall statement here and say that, you know, for a vegan, whether they have an eating disorder or not, restriction, it's not what it means in eating disorder terms. And it's also not to say that the diet itself, the dietary component of it is inherently restrictive. I could see why people would say that, but at the heart of veganism is this, you want to find foods that you can eat and enjoy and love you want to be flexible with food you know you you want to find the the vegan version of the ben and jerry's ice cream you know that that's mm-hmm. that's somebody who is thriving as a vegan who gets excited about vegan dessert you know and and yes of course there is definitely something to be said about society society is not totally vegan friendly you know it's we're not there veganism is not there and i understand that but i think in that case it would really come down to the individual what did they feel capable of what can they do and kind of going back to the definition of veganism what is pos- what is practicable and possible for them so i just want to kind of clarify that there's eating disordered restriction and there's the dietary component of veganism which involves the absence of certain things that many would consider food that vegans wouldn't even consider food. So they're not 
really restricting what they would call food. They're restricting animals, you know, and to them that doesn't, doesn't make sense to eat animals, but a healthy vegan wouldn't use that as an excuse to then say, well, I guess I can't eat anything or I can't eat this other thing. So I guess I just want to yeah, be clear about that. I can totally see why on the surface it would seem like restrict. I mean, and it, it's, you might have to adjust, you might have to adapt, you might have to figure out what is available to you. You might have to do some work to do that. But yeah, I think ultimately there is a difference in looking at restriction as it plays out in an eating disorder and dietary exclusions as it plays out in veganism. And the, the whole, me the mentality around each is very different. And the way through is very different for each. Um, each idea. Well, we can sort of segue into over here that if sort of circling back to the original question, if let's say I as a clinician or a treatment center is saying you can't be vegan or be, you're vegan because it's restrictive, then how does it negatively impact them and their recovery and the way that they interact with the treatment center, trust perhaps, you know, things like that. So we can, you can sort of like almost introduce that you, you can even just sort of say, okay, so circling back to the original question and then launch into that if you want. So circling back to your question about how does this impact somebody who is vegan or how, how does a professional environment not allowing veganism in a client, how does that affect somebody who is truly ethically vegan? And I feel like there are negative impacts that there are risks. There are things to keep in mind that might impact a patient in that position. These risks depend on the individual. But I think one thing to consider is that with eating disorder recovery, one of the, the biggest goals is to develop mindfulness around eating, even a, a healthy and joyful and present connection with the food that you're eating. You know, it might not happen right away, but that is a goal, um, I think, to, to feel mindful, mindful of your food and mindful of the nutrition that you're taking in and mindful of the taste of the food and um, of the experience of eating and just being present. And I think that if somebody who is vegan is in a position where they have to eat non-vegan food, it is going to be next to impossible for them to cultivate that mindfulness. I think that instead, they're actually probably going to have to detach just to be able to eat it. And I know it can be said that people will do that with eating disorders in general, you know, kind of dissociate and detach. And, and this is why I feel it's important to really distinguish what is coming from the vegan part of the person and what is coming from a purely eating disorder perspective. And the lines could be blurry. This could be an ongoing process of figuring it out. But for really for somebody who is truly vegan at their core, in their heart, and they're having to eat animals, they're very likely going to have to detach. They're going to have to really dissociate and really, to an extent, numb out. And this could involve a level of trauma. And I don't use that word lightly, but if you think about it, vegans have already gone through the process of seeing animals as not being food. They've already gone through that process. And so it's something, it's like saying you can't unsee what you see now. It's it, And so being in the position to have to kind of act 
as they would have before, before they kind of came to this realization, before they arrived at this process, uh, before they arrived at, at this place where they have kind of made a connection between the food on their plate and an animal, you know, walking around with a heartbeat, having them go back to the before could be very upsetting and and to an extent traumatizing. I think there's also trauma involved when you think about the process of becoming vegan in the first place. A lot of people become vegan because they learn about cruelty to animals. And that in and itself, that in itself can be or can feel traumatizing. Um, even if you're talking about like vicarious trauma and watching other um, sentient beings be hurt, even if you're just watching a video, you know, just knowing that this is happening can really affect you. It, it can, it affects people to the, enough to the point where they decide to not eat that anymore. And so there had to have been a major impact in order for them to get to that point. And so Having, yeah, again, it's just having them go back to a before can be very painful. Having them kind of go back to maybe a reminder of what it was like for them to initially realize um, what was going on and like in factory farms or whatever it might be. And having that, having them kind of viscerally return to that can be very traumatizing or very damaging. I won't just I throw the word traumatizing around, but certainly damaging. Certainly there's a risk for emotional, psychological damage that where there would need to be a level of support in place to help that person deal with that damage, to deal with the the impact that, you know, eating this animal or the animal's byproducts is having on them. I think that's a very real concern. And I think it's really important for professionals to get to know a patient enough so that they can trust, as you said, the word trust, but trust the patient. I knew, I think you said it in terms of the patient trusting the treatment center, but I think the treatment center also has to kind of trust the patient, even if it has to mean not doing what the patient wants to do, um, trust that, you know, this part of them that's upset is the vegan part of them. Um, it's a very fine line to walk. It's not always so cut and dry, but it is about connecting with the patient and at least assuring them that they are seen and they are understood and their discomfort is known and is witnessed and valid. So it's one thing if, say, somebody is in a higher level of care and they're made to eat something that they're not comfortable with eating, it's one thing to say, well, too bad. We don't do vegan here. So just eat it. And if you don't complete it, then you get all those consequences. Yeah, I mean, higher level of can potentially be ruthless, but it's a whole nother story if they say, listen, we don't typically do vegan here, but we can understand how this might be really harmful to you or really affect you. Can we talk about it? Can we see how we can at least like work something out, even if it's not everything? A little bit of warmth and understanding there can go a long way. But even just when you're talking about what I had briefly said trust before, whether I don't know if it was on the air or not, but I'm thinking about, say somebody comes in and they're saying I'm vegan, whether or not it's the true to the core. If the team is pouncing and saying, absolutely not, no vegan, no restricting, you're going to do whatever we tell you to do, then ultimately this person is going to be like, having their fighting armor on. They're not going to want to sit there and be collaborative and challenge themselves to do what perhaps is the most difficult thing to do right now in their life. You know, there's almost nothing in it for them to try. So 
we're breeding this battleground and we're really not helping anybody by being this almost authoritarian, you must not eat this thing way. I guess though, I'm thinking about the other side. This is also very difficult to tease out if we're talking about individuals and especially somebody who's at a higher level of care. But say somebody is hiding behind being vegan as a way to be pretty restrictive. And it's been working for them, but ultimately not what we would call, quote, true vegan. What's tricky about sort of saying, yes, we respect all limitations, all ethical limitations, and just sort of going with what the client is saying in terms of recovery and running a treatment program. And, you know, I'm sure there's tons of risks with that. So what are those? Yes. And I don't think that it's a good idea to just believe all patients at face value when they talk about that or take them at face value. So I think, I think initially there might be confusion around it. You might not know. And this, this might be a person who then down the line either realizes for themselves or admits to the professional that actually veganism was not what was really going on. And it was really, really easy for me to, you know, conflate that with my eating disorder. And now I I get that. And, and that, you know, that might've, you know, even um, a result of the professional working with them to help them get there. And that could be the best thing for them. So in order to get there, in order to even arrive at that place where a patient might come to that understanding and therefore take the best route for them themselves in recovery, I think at first, when there is still that confusion, things are not quite known, things can't be taken at face value. I think number one is we need to look at the person as an individual. And in addition to that, look at them as an individual at this point in time. That means that something could be true and it equally it could not be true. And you, the therapist or the dietitian or whoever it is, can hold both of those things in their mind kind of for the patient, knowing the patient isn't isn't there yet. There are many possibilities. There are many ways this could go. But if we are working with the patient, and as we say all the time in the field, meeting them where they're at, we can do that without hurting them. We can meet them where they're at without harming their recovery. You know, in the case that, yeah, later they realize they're not vegan. It doesn't, nothing, I don't think any harm is done in, in sort of believing them at the moment and also knowing that belief could very well change. And I think that what to do with that information is really a case-by-case thing. But I do think it's very important to individualize treatment from the get-go. And that could mean, like, if you're working with a therapist, really focusing on an early formed uh, therapeutic alliance and really forming that initial trust so that whatever happens down the line, as you said, it's, it's, it won't be based on a battlefield initially. It will be based on openness, curiosity, compassion, uh, progress, growth, and same with, with dietitians, same with any eating disorder professionals in their own ways, their own different kinds of expertise or relationship to the patient. But I also think that with that, so you're not saying initially, like, this is how it is, end of story. You've got to stay on top of it, you know? So I think there are ways to really 
assess um, a patient's like where they're coming from. And you can assess that over time. And so again, it's about kind of holding all possibilities there and being open to whatever happens, but also having a focus, having, you know, a goal of like, okay, you say this now, if you have an eating disorder, it's very likely you, um, your brain is probably malnourished. You know, you might not, you might believe what you're saying, but also you might realize later that once you have a more nourished brain and you gain strength and you just, you know, time in recovery, time spent in a mentally, physically healthier space, who knows what will come of that? Who knows what, what kind of thinking or realization or, you know, self-reflection will come from that? So I think it's important to ask questions over time to continue to know the patient to continue to monitor their progress, monitor their changes, ask the same questions as you did in the beginning towards the middle of treatment, towards the later in treatment and support them and every step of the way. And again, supporting them doesn't necessarily mean allowing them to eat vegan if you deem that it's not best for them or if the team deems that it's not best for them. But there has to be a foundation of support. Any typical eating disorder patient very often will get, they'll challenge themselves to do more meals and more snacks during the day. But I mean, so often people are like, I don't actually like sandwiches. I actually like salads like a lot better, or I don't really like pasta. It just doesn't, it's not my taste. And (laughs) I mean, I have almost never found that to ultimately be true. But it's not the kind of thing that if I said, well, actually, I do think that's your eating disorder talking and you really do like sandwiches, but you're just terrified of it. So we're going to go ahead and have the sandwiches. They'd be headed for the door and they should be headed for the door. So in a similar vein here, we're not saying jump all the way to what we think this person should be doing at the end of their recovery. We're saying, okay, where are you at right now? What are you able to tolerate? How much can we push you? Like an optimal pushing, if you will. Then we do that because otherwise we lost someone. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also important to remember that meeting them where they are is not synonymous with giving them a green light for restriction or giving them a green light to eat their safe foods. You know, this is going to be an actual test of, are you really vegan? Show us, Mm -hmm. you know, like you eat the fried food. Lots of, you know, vegan food is fried. Lots of vegan food. Will you eat the Oreos? Will you eat, you know, whatever it might be. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, well, I mean, yes, Oreos are actually vegan, everybody. (laughs) Exactly. But really, it's like it's like the whole point of eating disorder treatment, not the whole point, but in terms of dietary stuff, it's to eat food that your eating disorder would not approve of. So even if it's vegan, you're not going to just be able to eat salad. That's not going to work, you know, and, and you're that will not be considered recovery. It will not be considered a compromise for a vegan in um in treatment, like on a from a professional standpoint. That wouldn't be certainly wouldn't consider that a, a healthy compromise where let let them eat salad or that's where I think the dietitians come in in terms of you know, making sure they've got all like really an equivalent um, calorically, you know, in terms of fat. And I don't know much about nutrition, but, you know, whatever would be the the, as close to the equivalent as possible. But in in any case, it's 
at the end of the day, vegan or not, the person will not be eating just anything that they want and not eating anything they don't want. You know, there will always have to yeah. be food challenges and about fear foods and all of that. I mean, you can have mm-hmm. a vegan fear food. And I think there's that should be just as much of a part of the therapy as anything else. I mean, that, that you know, and, and, and just in the same way it is with, with non-vegan people, like, how did you feel when you had to eat that? You know, what sort of stuff came mm-hmm. up for you? What was difficult about that? What was challenging? Food and meal processing can be identical, you know, <laughs> to somebody who yeah. isn't vegan. Obviously, there are issues around resources and, and things like that. But just to say, like, on a on a purely theoretical level, that can be the recovery process can present the same exact challenges, you know, if, mm-hmm. as it would for somebody who, who is so a vegan. And the question would be, you know, you wouldn't eat the the vegan Ben and Jerry's, like, what's that about? And maybe that would lead to a conversation about, oh, actually, veganism was really kind of an excuse, you know, to restrict ice cream in general, you know, and when presented with the other one, I'm, and this would be kind of maybe a question and an assessment that you could give or that somebody could give. But like, if the person had an issue with binging, like, would you binge on vegan food like you know things mm-hmm. things like that questions like that can come up and enter the picture and that all of this information all of these questions can inform what is best for a particular person and once we know what is best or kind of are figuring that out then it's like okay how can we as a treatment center do our best you know maybe we don't have it all figured out maybe we haven't, we don't have all the resources available to us, but how can we use what we do have and really work with what we do, made ourselves where we're at too, you know, just like we want to meet the patients where they're at. Yeah. And, and help the patient how we can. Yeah. Well, I think what we're sort of alluding to this entire time is that treatment needs to be individualized. Treatment needs to be full of compassion and curiosity, but really looking at who is this person sitting in front of me? What is the best challenge to hit this person with? How do I collaborate with them? And then go from there. There's never a blanket statement. There's never a generalization because if you do that, then it gets really, really tricky. I know you talk about this like sort of, no one can see me, but I'm using air quotes, this vegan informed approach, which is very similar to some, you know, trauma informed principles. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that in terms of the eating disorder treatment for vegans that probably will reflect a bunch of what you've already said, but just something a little bit more specific, if you will. In my book, uh, Veganism and Eating Disorder Recovery, the book culminates in a proposal for a vegan-informed approach, which is derived from the principles of the trauma-informed approach and adapted for vegan needs. And so I went through a number of trauma-informed principles um, taken from a couple of different resources from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration and the Center for Substance Abuse Treatment. And these are all trauma-informed approaches that are principles that I adapted to veganism. And there are a total of 13 of them. I took 13 principles from this trauma-informed approach and adapted it to veganism. And the ones that really stand out to me um, in terms of this conversation and in terms of things that I would love to communicate to professionals 
are some of the following, and I, I, I wrote a few down just to kind of highlight them. Um, so the first one would be to promote trauma awareness and understanding. And this could mean that the staff could become informed about what veganism is, what veganism isn't. And so they have the knowledge to base conversations on, base decisions on, and things like that. Um, this could perhaps involve in-house trainings and that sort of thing. Um, the second principle that I listed is called create a safe environment. And for veganism, this could mean giving space to process things that come up around being around non-vegan food or being around um, vegan, whether it's their own food that they need to eat or even in the environment, um, just being around it to be able to process that because that's very, you know, that could be very normalized in the environment, but bring up a lot of stuff for them to be able to process that safely. Also talking to the, your therapist, being able to talk, being able to have that therapeutic alliance um, can all foster a sense of safety. One of the, the next one that I listed here is number four, which is minimize the risk of re-traumatization or replicating prior trauma dynamics. And so again, um, an early therapeutic alliance good communication between team members so that all team members are on the same page in terms of where the client is coming from and what is best for them in moving forward at this time. And this could also have to do with collaborating and communicating with, with people and professionals in other treatment levels. So like if a person is stepping down to a lower level of treatment or going to a different type of professional outside of treatment or whatever it is, just having that in mind and being able to communicate so that everybody is kind of aware of yeah where this patient is and what their motivation is and what needs to, to happen in their recovery at this point. The next principle that I've highlighted here is number eight, which is familiarize the client with trauma-informed services. And so, for example, support groups or just anything in the treatment center's network and a professional's network where they might think, okay, well, this person might benefit from having this type of support outside of our treatment. You know, and I think that also involves thinking outside of the box and being proactive and what can I do and, and how can I help with what I do have? And that kind of leads me into the last thing that I've mentioned here, which is number 11, use a strengths-focused approach, promote resilience. And so that would mean, to me, that means instead of asking or focusing on what can't or shouldn't a patient do, in the interest of following suit with, with veganism, you could really ask like, what is practically practical and possible for you to do? What can you do? And really, really focus on lifting the patient up. And, and that could mean anything. That could mean I don't feel like even if, 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 even if they are truly ethically vegan and even if they realize that it's not the best for them right now in terms of their eating disorder, a strengths-focused approach would allow them to focus on what they're proud of and what they are doing and what they feel like they can contribute and, you know, or just anything that would make them feel aligned with who they are. If they know that, okay, I'm doing what I can, maybe I'm volunteering at an animal sanctuary. Maybe I'm just not wearing leather, maybe whatever it is. Uh, maybe I'm doing what I can to buy things that aren't tested on animals, whatever that might be focusing on lifting them up rather than focusing on saying, can't, this can't be done, this can't be done, and working with them. And in the same way that would apply to the treatment center too, what can be done? Let's lift ourselves up. What resources do we have? What can we do with the resources that we have? How can we be proactive in working with people, both on an individual and structural level? What can we do for this person when it comes to restaurant outings or cooking groups? Like what can be done? You know, instead of an automatic, no, seeing this as the end of the road, 
let's look at what we can be done. Yeah, I love that. And that can even be a, for, a part of like forming the therapeutic alliance and, and, you know, really forming that bond and going back and forth and exchanging ideas and things like that. So th- that's yeah. kind of, those are some of the highlights from the vegan informed approach. I just think it's kind of, you know, it does tie into basically re- revisits everything that I mentioned in the book and like a little, little snippet and kind of puts it all in one place so that it's easy to refer to any professional of any kind when working with eating disorders can refer to this and can kind of use it as a reference and as a guide to addressing the the root of this issue and addressing it in practice and in all kinds of ways and keeping the individual patient at the, at the heart of it, keeping their recovery at the heart. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which could also mean they turn out to not need to be vegan. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for joining us today. This was really, I think it was really an important conversation. And the part about it that's the most nuanced, meaning we're not going in with any assumptions. We're just sort of like looking at each person and seeing what's best for this particular person. We don't know what the outcome is going to be is is probably the most important piece of information that anybody could go in with. Before I let you go, can you share with our listeners where they can find you? People can find me at eatingdisordersandveganism.com. And also if you Google Rutledge and veganism and eating disorder recovery, you can find my book. I'll leave the link so you can, um, if you'd like to include the link, but yeah, Jen Friedman, veganism and eating disorder recovery, Rutledge, you'll find it. And also the book is on all online retail at all major online retailers. I have an Instagram, a Twitter and a Facebook page for the book. My Instagram name is Veganism and Eating Disorders. Facebook is facebook.com slash eating disorders and veganism book. And my Twitter is um, Jen S. Friedman. I'll leave all the links, but yeah, the main ones are Perfect. my website and the we can find the book just by Googling and searching Rutledge Veganism and Eating Disorder Recovery. Amazing. And thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful conversation and I really appreciate your interest and your care in it and just your willingness to have this chat. You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.